I've greatly enjoyed our study on Thessalonians. Um, I'm getting to the point where I'm feeling like I need to start wrapping up and move on. And so the Lord is with us today. We're going to try and do that this morning and again uh, this afternoon. Um, so I'll stick around after lunch. We'll have round two of preaching. So we're just going to jump right back in. We're going to start from verse 1 again. This is, again, a very short letter, and so I try to give us as much context as I can before we get anywhere. And, and honestly, if y'all have been paying attention, you've heard every sermon, we've been through about every verse at least twice, maybe three times. Um, we've been going through this since about the first week in May. Um, and so I'm going to move rather quickly to get down to the verse that I want to talk about. There's uh, a couple this morning that I feel like I may have not spent enough time, and they may be confusing. Um, and so I want to add some clarity where I can. So y'all be praying uh, that the Lord would bless. Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timotheus, or Timothy, under the church, that called out assembly, of the Thessalonians, brothers and sisters there at the city of Thessalonica in Greece, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our first prayer we talked about last week. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace being that divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in your life. And the peace with God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You're patiently waiting for our Lord to return. That's our hope. In the sight of God and our Father, not just to be seen of men, but in God's eyes, whether we're around anyone or not, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. We're doing those things which are evidence of their election of God. Four. Our gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word, that good news, the gospel, in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. And this is a baby church that was started in persecution and continued on with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia, those being large regions in Greece. Okay, it's not just impacting your local community around you, but they were examples for those all around their regions. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Not will deliver us, but He's already delivered us. Completed work. So these Gentiles in this uh, city of Thessalonica, Paul came unto them. They heard the word, but it wasn't just men speaking. They heard it as it is the power of Jesus Christ and his word and effect in their hearts that they received it with joy of the Holy Ghost. 
in power and in Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And they turned from serving their idols to serving God, the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. Chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, it was not worthless or empty, but even after we'd suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, Philippi was a city had been out right before, and that's where they were pulled to the magistrate, stripped naked, beaten publicly, and then thrown in jail because they'd cast out a demon from a young lady who'd been held as a slave and a, a soothsayer. You know how we were shamefully entreated at Philippi, despite all that. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention or effort or striving. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanliness, nor in guile. He's uh, giving testimony to how they came and taught. It wasn't in deceit, or uncleanliness, or in guile. They weren't laying traps. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. There's a gospel that God gave them. That's what they were entrusted with. That's what they spoke. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. That same uh, standard applies to every preacher today. That the gospel that's been entrusted to them, they have to preach it to please God, not to please men. He's the one who's going to try our hearts or test our hearts to see if we are faithfully delivering His Word. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. He said, we weren't there to butter you up and to take your money. God's our witness. He knows. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you. We weren't seeking fame or power. Neither of you, nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, we could have come into town and say, all right, y'all, we've seen the resurrected Christ. Y'all can just serve us. So we weren't like that. We weren't trying to be burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse nurse cherisheth her children. So as gentle as one who has the charge of young children, cares for them and is affectionate of them, that's how they were, Paul and Timothy and Silas, as they were here in the Thessalonica. So being affectionately desirous of you, with great love, we were, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but our own souls or lives. We were willing to give up our lives for you. And indeed, they were risking their lives every time they opened their mouth. Okay, this is not an idle thing, not an idle uh, saying, but our own souls, because you were dear to us. This great love for these people that they didn't know very long. They were only there three weeks. But they knew that they were elect of God by the reaction they had to the gospel. They saw the fruits that were manifested, and so they were worthy of their love because God loved them. Okay, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. So they supported themselves while they were there. They weren't asking for handouts. They were trying to set the most pure example that they could so there was no scintilla or so no smallest hint that they were there <coughs> To collect money. Okay? We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, you've seen, you can testify, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. It's another good admonition to pastors and teachers and ministers that we are to exhort or to invite or to call your attention to things 
to comfort you with truths of God's word, and to charge you, and to indeed give you charges of this is what you need to do, thus saith the word, not just my opinion, right? To comfort, exhort, and charge every one of you as a hard taskmaster, no, as a father doth his children with tender love. And what's he charging them? That you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. When the child of God is born again and hears the word, there is going to be an impact in his life of hearing the gospel. For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. So it says, you, church of Thessalonica, you have become followers of the other churches that have gone before in Judea. They are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Okay, The churches in Judea are already being persecuted by the Jews, who had killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. This has been the pattern in Israel. The prophets came and said God's word. They didn't like it. They would kill them. Right? Jesus came and he delivered God's word. He spoke not of himself. He spoke of the Father's will. They didn't like it and they killed him. And now as you're trying to speak Jesus' name and follow in his steps, they don't like you and they will kill you. Okay, That's, that's been the pattern. He said, And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin always, for wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So that was one of the things they were charging is not only can you not speak in the name of Jesus, but don't go speaking to the Gentiles. Okay, And so this verse 16 is the one I want to spend a little time on this morning. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. To fill up their sin always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now, some folks can get confused by that word saved. I think this is referring to by me speaking to the Gentiles and delivering them the gospel, they will then earn or inherit or somehow gain access to eternal salvation. Do not believe that is what is being referred to here. That word save, the Greek word means to deliver, to make safe, to do well. What they're being delivered from really is from ignorance. Go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy and... We'll jump in verse 6. We'll go down a little bit, but this is Paul writing to young preacher Timothy. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore... Ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest, revealed, by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, 
who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You don't gain life and immortality through the gospel. It's revealed. It brings it to light. You were able to see it. You were delivered from the ignorance of what Jesus Christ has done and what was given to Him before the world began. Now He's called you by His call, with a holy calling. He gives you those ears to hear, and when you hear that gospel, you are brought to light. He enlightens you and tells you what great things He has already done for you. Alright? But I want to think just a little bit more uh, in the context here about this forbidding to speak to the Gentiles because not only were there... um, you know, Jewish nationals, those who were just of Jews and not Christians who didn't like them speaking to Gentiles, they were Christian Jews who didn't want them to speak to Gentiles either. Okay? This, is, this goes back to the separation that Israel was a special people, and they were. And they were to be separated. They weren't to marry among the other nations. They weren't to have anything to do with it. And so to by this time... They weren't even to go into a stranger or a Gentile, someone who's non-Jewish's house, or eat with them. Okay? So, let's go look at a, a scene in Acts. One Acts chapter 10. And I want you to... You've, you've probably all heard this before. I'm not telling you anything new. That's fine. But I want you to, just like we were talking about, thinking about the words of those songs, I want you to think a little bit harder about this scenario and put yourself into this, this scene of, of how what was really being asked. This is Acts chapter 10 of, of Peter at this time. Okay, we're going to be looking at the centurion Cornelius. Okay? Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea. Caesarea is a port city. Um, you know, it's about 30 miles north of Joppa, at least as far as my little pen you know, measuring using the map map of my back of my Bible. I don't know the roads they took, but it's on the port city, just like Joppa. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Okay, centurion. He's a Roman. Okay. Sometimes it's easy for us to just read about the Romans and not think about the real hostility that any Jews in this time would have towards them. So we're going to play a semi-parable game. Uh, Russia has now invaded America. Okay? They won. We are now an occupied country. And a colonel in the Russian army invites you to his house to preach about Jesus. That gets you a little bit closer to what's going on here, okay? An occupying officer of an enemy force, and they've whooped up at you. There's no chance of coming back militarily. I mean, they've conquered you know, vast swaths of the world, of the known world. They're the occupying force. That's who's inviting you to his house, okay? But make it a little bit starker. All right, there's a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Centurion, you know, he had... Somewhere between 60, 80, 100 men. Depends on what point in the Roman Empire they changed the amount in the, um, you know, how much a centurion was over. I couldn't get a clear answer, so I don't really care. But he's got men over him. He's an officer. Men under him. He's an officer. All right? But listen to this description about this Gentile, non-Jew, 
He is a devout man and one that feareth God with all his house, who gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Devout means pious, well-reverent, godly. Okay? He feared God. Fear as in the reverential awe. Right? And notice it's not just him, but he has the expectation that everyone in his household is to fear God. He can't control if they do it from their heart or not, but as the leader of the household, he will set the expectation that you will govern yourself in a way that you fear the Lord. Okay? A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms, it's an abundance of alms, alms being, uh, the word literally translates to compassions, but these are small tokens given to the poor to help those in need, right? the needy. He's showing compassion to those in need. And he prayed to God always. He prayed to God always. Okay? From all this, does it sound like this man is already manifesting fruits of the Spirit? Sure looks like that to me. Preacher ain't got there yet. Now, we're later going to find out that this day when he's going to see this vision, he had been fasting. He saw in a visit a vision evidently about the ninth hour. Now, when I used evidently as a lawyer, I'm trying to throw some little question marks in there, like, well, evidently that happened. No. This evidently means plainly. This means clearly. He saw a vision plainly and clearly. This is no, you know, fogginess. This is no spectral image, kind of like old Job's friends. Like, I saw a vision. This is something. He saw a vision clearly, plainly. There's no doubt about this, Okay. He saw a vision plainly about the ninth hour of the day. Now, I start counting hours from sunrise, so that's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon-ish. All right? He saw a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him. So later we'll see that he came into the house. He looked like a man. He was standing there in bright clothing. All right? We're going to see this story about three times as we look through it here. But just giving you those details as you're visualizing this, one who looked like a man and yet was wearing bright clothing coming into his house. All right? And saying unto him, this first thing he says to him, he says, Cornelius. Okay. Now put yourself in Cornelius' shoes. You haven't eaten all day. You've been praying. And then somebody comes into your house wearing bright clothes and says your name. Might be a little startled too. <laughs> and he looked at him and he was afraid. That's probably a good reaction. <laughs> he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? Now that Lord is the same word that we attribute to Christ the Lord Jesus Christ, the Master of the Curios, but it's also a sign of respect, a sir. What is it, sir? What is it, Master? And he said unto him, this is the angel speaking, he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. A memorial, a record, a reminder. Your prayers and your alms are before God, as a reminder, before His face, in His, in his presence. Okay? Let that just be additional encouragement to you to continue to pray and continue to do good. Whether there's any tangible benefit that you receive in this life, it's not for that. But they all come before God. Okay. Thy prayers and thy knowledge will come up from a memorial before God. Now send men, notice it's plural, now send men to Joppa and call for one, he gives them the name, call Simon, whose surname is Peter. Simon is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Simeon. And the surname, uh, Peter, you know, the rock, a rock, um, 
Now, it's important to give the last name there because he was actually staying in somebody's house whose also name was Simeon, Simon, right? So, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Again, Joppa being a port city, his house is all there on the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. All right? Later, we're going to see that immediately Cornelius complies. And when the angel was, and when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, it's going to say immediately. It's verse thirty-three. He called two of his household servants. Now remember, all of his households are devout, fearing God with him, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. So there are those who are ministering to him, and the one that he chose was devout, a pious man. Right. So you've got three followers of God who are being sent as messengers to go to Joppa. Remember, it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. They've got 30-some-odd miles to travel, okay? And when he declared unto them all these things, uh, all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the morrow, so they're going to get down there on day two. These guys are hoofing it. I don't know if they're riding something or what, but they are covering some serious ground because they're going to get there by noon the next day, okay? And on the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh to the city, and Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. That's how I'm getting to the noon, right? And he being very hungry and would have eaten, but when they made ready, he fell into a trance. So they're cooking lunch downstairs, and he's up on the housetop praying. He falls into a trance. He's very hungry. And this is when he sees the vision. We won't spend much time on the vision, but the Lord's going to let a sheet down. It's going to be all manner of unclean things in there. And he says, kill, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. I've never you know, eaten anything unclean. And he says, what I've made clean, don't call clean or uncom- don't call unclean. What the Lord hath cleansed, call not thou common. And it did it three different times. Lowering the sheet down, telling him, it goes back up. All right. Peter didn't know exactly what this meant. In fact, it said he doubted. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision had mean that he should, what this vision he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. All right. So the three guys are now outside the gate of whatever little compound they're in, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname Peter, was lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, so he's sitting there cogitating, trying to figure out, okay, what is this? What is this about, Lord? The Spirit tells him. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, speaks unto him, saying, "Behold, three men seek for thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them." All right? Cornelius had dispatched them. There, God saying, "I've sent them." Not only that, I'm telling you how many are calling you. So when he goes down, he sees three men. I mean, you've got that instant, yes, Lord. <laughs> All right. Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius a centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned by God of an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Okay. Jump back into your context. You've got an officer sending one of his soldiers and two of his servants to come collect you, to come teach about Jesus in his house. Now, Jews at this point cannot enter into a stranger's house. It would be defiling to themselves. They certainly can't sit down to eat with them. And yet before he's got this message, the Lord has already sent him saying, they're coming. I've sent them. Go with them, doubting nothing. Okay? And he called them in. He invited them in. He's obeying. Right? He called them in and lodged them, because odds are they're pretty tired. They had a, a, a rough day. 
or long night and day, right? So he lodged them, and on the morrow, Peter went away with them. He would describe later that he went without gainsaying, without arguing, without disputing. I can't go with you. I don't want to go with you. You vile Romans, right? A lot of the Jews, when they were disappointed that Christ came because they wanted that military leader that was going to throw off the Romans. Right? That's what they expected. That's what I assume they expected. And it's reasonable to expect that because throughout the Old Testament, whenever the Jews were conquered by somebody for their disobedience, the Lord would eventually raise up a leader and they'd whoop them and then they'd be free again. And so that's the pattern they'd seen over and over and over and over again through, through judges, through all the judges, through the kings. Right, there would be this pattern of you be obedient for a while, then you disobey, and then you go into some form of captivity or some kind of um, you know, reduction in the kingdom, and then the Lord would have mercy, He'd raise up a leader, and then you'd be freed from that. And so I think it's reasonable that that was what they were expecting here, is they are now currently occupied by the largest force in the world. Um, and so they were disappointed uh, and didn't expect Jesus to come riding humbly in on a donkey. But the, the, the foe that He was fighting was much, much greater in the Roman Empire. It was our own sin, right? It was death itself. Okay? So he invites them in that night. So that's day two. And then on the morrow, so we get to day three, Peter went away with them. So first thing in the morning, they get up and they go. They start traveling north to Caesarea. He went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Turns out there's about six guys, six brothers from Joppa who are going to go with him. All right? And on the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea... And in the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them. That word waited there, that's got a very similar connotation for how you and I are to wait for Christ. He was anticipating them, joyfully looking for unclean. Right? He found many together. And this is what he says to them. He said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. This is the first revelation to Peter here that the gospel is not limited just to the Jews. Now when Jesus came, His ministry was focused on the Jews. He told His disciples, don't go Samaria. I mean, he had a few little interactions with people, but you know, even the the woman who came asking for healing for her daughter that was was she wasn't a Jew. He's like, you know, it's not meat for me to take bread from the children and give it to dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So he healed her there. But primarily, his focus was on the children. And really, it's going to elaborate the point of how he was rejected by his own. Okay. So you've got this expansion here, the the revelation that it's expanded to more than just the natural Jews. So God had revealed that. Therefore, I came unto you without gainsaying, without arguing, without disputing, without putting up a fight or pouting, as soon as I was sent for. I asked, therefore, for what intent you sent for me. So Cornelius is going to give the summary. Four days ago, day four now, I was fasting until this hour, whatever hour they got there, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. All right, bright clothing, you know, illuminescent or radiant. Okay, kind of reminds me of how Jesus was transformed in the Mount of Transfiguration. That his clothing was so bright, and his face was bright. Right? 
stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, thine alms are had, and remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter, who is lodged in the house of Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Right? He'll tell thee. Let's see what it said. The first says, He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And here in his recap he said, um, Who will uh, speak unto thee. Immediately. Without hesitation. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here and present before God to hear the things that are commanded thee of God? Saying, all right, we're here. Tell us. And Peter opened his mouth. This is an interesting nugget of him. He's going to talk, but obviously he opened his mouth. I, I, I kind of imagine he might have paused for a moment. But anyway, he opened his mouth and said, Of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. All right? God and worketh righteousness is accepted with Him. Okay? God is not showing partiality to just the Jewish nation, but He is accepting of all of His children. Those that are going to fear Him and work righteousness. Those are accepted with Him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel. So he's, he's preaching now. He said, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. Notice that's in parentheses. That's just a reminder to you. Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of all. Unless you didn't know. That word, I say, ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So he's given a little mini recap of Jesus and His ministry and how the word of the gospel began going, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. And we are witnesses of all things which He did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. So he's recapping the whole ministry in a real short time. He went about doing good, healing those that were oppressed of the devil, God was with him, gave him that power. We are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged upon a tree. Him, Jesus Christ, Him, God raised up the third day, the resurrection, and showed Him openly. Right? Not to all the people, but unto witnesses, chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with Him after He rose from the dead. The special role of the apostle was the being... Uh, one who had seen the living Jesus Christ before and after. Well, Paul saw him uh, after by sight. But the, the original twelve were, were chosen. They'd been with him from the beginning. And they were testifying of his resurrection. Alright? And he commanded us. Right? He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained or said of God to be the judge of the quick and of the dead. That, to teach the people this Jesus Christ, He's the one God has chosen to be the judge. That final day of judgment, He's the judge of both the quick, which means the alive, and the dead. To Him give all prophets witness. All the prophets are pointing to Him. They're testifying of Him. That through His name, whosoever believeth in Him shall receive the remission of sins. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Now remember, at this time... There was often a visible manifestation in the form of the Holy Ghost. At Pentecost, it looks like uh, something that was like a flame or tongues of, of fire. It wasn't actually fire. It doesn't look like that. 
And there would often be miracles that these people would be able to perform, uh, speaking in different languages that they never learned, um, speaking in tongues, prophesying. All these things were evidences that God is stamping His approval, saying, these are mine. You can trust it. You can believe it. Right? And so, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard this. So who are these falling on? Gentiles. Romans. Kinsmen and friends of this Roman officer. And they're being blessed with these gifts of the Holy Ghost. Okay? And those of the circumcision which believed were astonished. So those six guys who came with it from Joppa, they were, their mouths are hanging out. Right? What do you mean? These are Gentiles. These are common, unclean. These are, ugh, right? How can the Lord be including them? Right? Many of the circumcision which believed, so those are the six Jews, were astonished, and they have the circumcision, as many as came with Peter, all six, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? You know, sometimes preachers will use that expression, Can any man forbid water um, before somebody gets baptized today? This is not just a, a bit of puffery or filling in the blank or, or asking if this person is too bad to be baptized. You're all, you're all too bad to be baptized, right? In and of yourself. No matter what you've done, that Jesus' blood is powerful enough to cleanse you of it. This is saying, guys, there is a paradigm shift going on right now. Okay, Up until now, the Gentiles haven't been baptized. It's been exclusively for the Jews. He said, can any of you, I think he's really pointing to those six guys who are with him, can any of you guys say that these guys should not be baptized seeing what we just witnessed? That God has testified that these are His. And the short answer is, no, you better not. It was kind of rhetorical. Um, but give, you, give it a shot now if you need to. Right? Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as thee? And the answer is no. Nobody could. Unless you're going to fight against God Himself. Right? And He commanded them to be baptized. It wasn't a suggestion. Y'all come on now. No. Get baptized. <laughs> and He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Right? And they prayed him to tarry certain days. Okay. Now, y'all know the PB grapevine travels fast. Right? This one, the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God, and Peter and them ain't got there yet. Right? It's the news network through the church. Like, it gets there. Okay. Chapter 11. And the, the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come to Jerusalem... They that were of the circumcision did what? Contended with him. Disputed with him. Argued with him. Got up in his face. You're not following the rules. They contended with him. Saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Okay? That's their charge. You've broken that tradition that we have. You're supposed to remain separate. They went into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. And Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, expounding upon it by order unto them, saying, and he gives the summary. I was in Joppa. I was hungry on top of the roof. They let down a sheet. I said, I can't eat this. He said, kill anyway. Whatever I've cleansed, and you don't call it common or unclean. Um, and then it goes back up. And then three men came to the gate. Um, and the Spirit, verse 12, bade me go with them, doubting nothing. 
Moreover, these six brethren, so he brings them with him to Jerusalem, got witnesses, right, of what's happened there at uh, Caesarea. These six brethren accompanied, accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. He shall tell words of thee. He shall tell thee how thou shalt be saved. And I began to speak. The Holy Ghost fell on them as on us in the beginning. Then remembered I the words of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For then as much as God gave them the like gift as he gave unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then God hath also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Okay? Now this controversy would not go away. And Peter, who had gone through all this, later Paul would have to rebuke because some folks had come from Jerusalem who were more of the circumcision line and things you need to be following more of the law. Judaizers is the term, but those who think, yeah, Christ is good, but you've got to do some law stuff too that they had influenced Peter enough so that before they came, he was eating with the Gentile brothers and sisters there. And then when they came, he withdrew. And he started to hold back and try and keep the law. So much so that even Paul's buddy Barnabas got carried away in the dissimulation. This is in Galatians. You can go read the full account there. But Paul didn't stand for it. He said, I went to Peter and withstood him to the face. Right? And you're to be blamed because you're causing this trouble by allowing this respect of men. You're carrying what these men think instead of what you've been revealed by God in this situation to know that it was broader. It's not just to the Jews anymore. It is to the Gentiles as well. We also saw that when we were looking at Ephesians about how that middle wall of partition that used to separate us has been taken down. And we're now just one. We're one family and children of God in one, one family. Okay? So there was this ongoing uh, pressure among the Jews who those who didn't believe and some that did believe to limit who they'd speak to. Some didn't want to speak to anybody at all and some really didn't want to go to the Gentiles still treating them like they were something less. But praise God, since we're all Gentiles here, that you are just as loved by God the Father as by any Jew. Okay? So that's, that's what we're going on, what's going on there in, in chapter 2 and verse 16 in Thessalonians. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So he is not delivering these Gentiles eternally into the love of Jesus Christ. He is going and revealing the truth of what Christ has already done. So they would know what they ought to do. So they can know what they can do to do well. So you and I know how we can best serve God. Okay? Moving on. But we, brethren, back in Thessalonians, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Remember, they had to run away and flee because they had a riot coming after them. They tried to go back, um, but they, they were hindered. Okay? In fact, they were run out by the same riot at the next town when they went down to Berea. They were run out from there too. They had to get in a ship and go all the way down to Athens, which was like 300 miles south. All right. 
Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. The best thing um, that any preacher can, you know, hope for and rejoice in is that the people that he's ministered and labored in will be standing fast and serving God all the days of their life so that they're there um, on that last day. The preacher doesn't change whether they're there or not, but his labor, we don't, he doesn't want his labor to be in vain. He wants those that he's ministering to be, continue to grow in grace and to, to not um, fall away or become lackadaisical. Chapter 3, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. So he hasn't been able to get back. He said, I'll, just, I'll, be, I'll stay here in Athens alone. Timothy's now joined me. I'm going to send him back. Sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. That no man should be moved by these afflictions, right? They're having terrible persecution. He said, don't be moved by them. Stand fast, regardless of the trials that we're going through. Stand fast. For yourselves know that we're appointed thereunto. There is an element of suffering that's included in your Christian walk. We're appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you that we should suffer tribulation. Even as it came to pass. And you know, he said, we were there teaching about how tribulation is going to come. He said, and that's when it came to pass, like right then. You can imagine being in prayer meeting, us teaching, and the riot comes in the door, right? And we've got to flee, okay? It's like that, that's, that's how close in time it was of, I'm teaching you that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass. And you know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I couldn't, just, I couldn't stand it anymore, I sent to know your faith. I'm sending Timothy. Lest by some means the tempter having tempted you and our labor be in vain. Now, Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly good tidings of your faith and charity and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and faith by your faith, all our affliction and distress by your faith. Okay, So they were a comfort to Paul even though he's going through affliction because they're continuing to stand fast. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy with we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your face. So he's been praying that he could get back to them and that he continue to preach because there's things that they need to know. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one towards another and towards all men, even as we do towards you, to the end, that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Hopefully as we're reading through this, you're not checking out, but you're able to think through the various messages that we've already had on each of these verses. I'm going kind of quickly, and I want to get to one in verse in chapter 4 before we wrap up for the morning. Furthermore, so all that's gone before, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, we're asking, we're begging, and exhort you, we're charging you, we're uh, inviting you, by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. He said, what you've learned how to follow Christ and how you need to walk and please Him, do it and do it better. Abound more and more. 
For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye would abstain from fornication. So talking about how do we follow God and how do we please Him, these next few verses are going to describe it. That you will become more sanctified, that you will abstain from fornication in all its forms, that every one of you know how you should possess His vessel, that's your body, how to possess your body in sanctification and honor that you would treat your body holily as an instrument of God, not to be consumed upon your own lusts. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Concupiscence is a, a great word. It means coveting. So not in the passion of covetousness, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So that's, what the, that's what the world does. That's not what you're to do. Not in the passion of covetousness, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Right? So to defraud means, to, to again, to covet, take, take advantage. You're called to be holy in all aspects, and you certainly don't want to take advantage of your brother, whether that's a natural brother or a brother in Christ, in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. What's that mean? That means whether you get away with it or not, the Lord sees, and He'll take care of it. Okay, So don't do it. The Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, uncleanness, but unto holiness. Right? So those things were examples of uncleanness, fornication and covetousness and defrauding others. Called us unto cleanness of purity, unto holiness. Verse 8. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is another verse that I've kind of grappled with a little bit. What exactly are we talking about? Um, who's doing the despising? What are we despising? It seems kind of just jumped in. Um, I think it relates back to those first seven verses, that those who are hearing your teaching and preaching on these topics and despising it, who count it uh, as worthless, who scorn it, says he's not, not despising you, not despising men, but God, who hath also given us of His Holy Spirit. All right, so I'm going to try and... Um, demonstrate that over in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Okay, so your context is Jesus is about to send out the 70 uh, to go teach and preach. Um, and He's given them a whole list of instructions. Right? And in the very end of that list, Verse 16, he says, He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. He's letting them know there's really going to be two categories. Those that hear you, those with ears to hear who hear and believe, and those that despise you. Because the preaching of the cross to them that perish is just foolishness. Right? So you've got hearers and you've got despisers. And so I think that's our, our context there in Thessalonians, is that there will be those who are going to despise this path, how you ought to walk and to please God, to be sanctified, to be holy, to be pure. He therefore that despiseth, he despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God, to love one another. That's one of the things you learn when you are born again, to love your brothers and sisters. That is taught by God. He said, I don't even have to write it. Now, he's admonished them to grow in love several times, um, so it's important to continue to do, but he says, as far as how to do it, you don't need me to write it. 
You're taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do it towards all the brethren which are in Macedonia. That's interesting. Macedonia is a region, right? They're not just loving the brothers and sisters there in the city of Thessalonica, but they're showing love and compassion and tenderness to all the brothers and sisters around that they interact with. Macedonia, the whole region. But we beseech you, brethren, here we go, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Anybody got to the point where they love too much? Nope. There's always more and more that we can do. And you increase more and more. Verse 11. And study to be quiet. Y'all heard me quoting that a bunch. And study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk honestly towards them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. All right, you've got two verses coupled together. One, to study to be quiet. Study to be quiet. What's that mean? To study means to be eager, to labor, to strive. Um, To be quiet means to keep still, to refrain from, and to do your own business. So taking those together... The admonition is really, don't be a lazy busybody. Don't feel like you can just stop working and live on the communal pot and be in everybody's business. <laughs> Paul would actually have to abrade them or chastise them in the second letter over in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our... Or chapter 3, verse 6. We command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw your, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he hath received of us. Um, don't take that word tradition too seriously. Um, it means transmission, the things that he's commanded and taught. Um, for ye yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved ourselves not disorderly among you. So the pattern that they taught, that whole pattern that he described over in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, you know how we behaved ourselves, not disorderly. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught or for nothing, but we wrought with labor and travail. We worked night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. But even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. So you've got this admonition. You want to have um, peace in the church, then everybody needs to be working, striving, um, laboring, um, tending our own business or working in our own affairs um, with quietness, not... um, not rabble-rousers, if that makes sense. Um, not trying to get into other folks' business just because you're bored. You can see that over in uh, 1 Timothy when it talks about the, the sisters of who are going to be taken into the number of the widows that were in the charge of the church. It says she needs to be of a certain age and done certain things, but if she's too young, eventually she's going to want to marry again and she's going to um, just become an adult, idle busybody going from house to house, you know, bearing tales. Um, if you just look at that real quick. First Timothy five, see three through eight. Honor widows that are widows indeed. 
But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for it is good and acceptable before God. So before uh, a widow should come into the charge of the church to care for her needs, if she's got children or nephews, that they're, they're first on duty. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate, trusteth in God and continueth in supplication and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And it goes on to describe the, the characteristics for um, taking them into the number. And so, again, the charge there for the church, there, yes, it's to, to care for the widows who are desolate, but if there are family members who are coming first in line, the family members come first in line for that duty. Idleness, busybodies, yeah, that's where we're at. Study, study to be quiet. And do your own work that you may walk honestly or decently towards them that are without. Who's that without? That's without the church. Those that are outside the church. That you are living yourself in a morally, godly way where you are providing um, for the needs that you have, you and your family, by working honestly. That you may walk honestly towards them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. All right? And that's far enough for this morning. And we will wrap up this afternoon. I thank you all for your time and attention. Anybody have a number you'd like to sing in closing? You have your Bibles? We'll turn back to 1 Thessalonians and we'll pick up chapter 4. And reading, starting in verse 13. I know we've already covered this section in depth, but it, it ties straight into chapter 5, which we haven't looked at extensively recently. So, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or proceed them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another's of one another with these words. So you've got this beautiful picture of the Lord returning on that last day, and this is to let them know they didn't have to sorrow as others which don't have hope. And it continues in chapter 5, it says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I should write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the, of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. If you look up those words, times and seasons, the word time there uh, is an interval, a period of time. Okay, So the period of time, how long is it going to be until the Lord comes back? How long? And the seasons, the season there means a specific occasion. How long and the what of when is He coming back? He says, I don't have to write unto you. You have no need that I should write unto you. Earlier this morning, we looked at another spot where he said, I don't have to write unto you, and that was that you have brotherly love one to another that God is teaching. And he said, I don't have to tell you. This thing is 
basic and obvious. Why is it basic and obvious? Verse 2 says, For ye yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. What does that mean? It means you don't know when it's coming. Right? And there's going to be all sorts of prognosticators throughout time who are going to tell you that they know when He's coming. They've cracked the code, they've done some hibbity-jibbities in here, and now they know exactly when it is. They're lying. Right? It says, I don't even have to write you about this because you know perfectly it comes at a thief in the night. Okay? Matthew 24. I'm going to illustrate this. Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and verse 42. Context is the Lord coming back. Describing that. Verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch, or what time of the night, the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Okay? You don't know when he's coming. The charge is to watch and to not be asleep, because he's coming when you don't think he is. Okay? Again, over in Revelation 3 and 3, Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. This is written under the church of Sardis. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Okay, Got this, this imagery of the Lord returning as a thief in an hour unlooked for. It comes again in Revelation 16 and 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Okay? So in all of these, there's an admonition to continue to watch, to be sober, to be diligent um, while we're waiting because you don't know when the Lord will come. But of the times, the how long, the interval, and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. Back in 1 Thessalonians 5. For yourselves know perfectly, fully understand that, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Verse 3, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So, you're not looking for it, and those prognosticators are saying everything's good, got peace and safety right now that's going to come suddenly the same way that labor pains will suddenly start on a woman. She can't tell you when she's going to go into labor. Her husband certainly can't tell you. He better not guess, right? But it's going to come upon it suddenly, and they shall not escape. But, even though you don't know that peace, but ye brethren are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. What does that mean? I thought you just said we wouldn't know when it is. You won't know when it is. But you shouldn't be surprised when it does happen. 
Not that you can predict when it's going to happen, but you should be living your life in the same way as if it's going to happen this afternoon, or tomorrow, or next week, or next month, that the same pattern, of course, of your life, that you should be ready so it doesn't overtake you, so it doesn't surprise you. If the good man had known he was coming, he would have stayed and watched. Well, if the good man's wise, he'd stay awake and he'd watch all the time. Right? So you're living a consistent life where we're not you know, walking around naked as it was in Revelation, that we keep our garments, that we keep our godly lifestyle and manner consistently where we don't bring shame upon ourselves and shame upon our Lord. Right? When we make mistakes and when we sin, we're bringing reproach upon the name of God. Right? He bought and paid for you. You're His child. You are now a reflection of His glory. When you fail to walk to that standard, you're bringing reproach upon Him. And you're giving much occasion for the enemies of Christ to blaspheme or reproach. Reproach Him, okay? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Okay, there are some who are in complete darkness and they will be utterly shocked. Right? It will be very surprising to them. Right? You are not that. Ye are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. This is all referring to your spiritual enlightenment. That God enlightened your eyes when you're born again, that suddenly you can see. You've got those eyes to see. And now that you're in the light of Jesus Christ and seeing what He's done, we have to walk in that light. Not going back to that manner of darkness where we were before, when you were dead in trespasses and sins, living the lifestyle of this world, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and all that goes with that. Right? That is, that is what it's like most describing here is this sleeping. That's when you're back in that state of deadness where you are pursuing the things of this world. Instead, in walking in the light of Jesus Christ, right? You are all children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And we looked at these verses pretty carefully back when we were in Titus, right? When we were looking at that idea of being sober-minded, of being alert, about being focused, of having your head on the swivel like you're out running maneuvers in the military. You want to stay alert for possible dangers, for things that can trip you up, for traps. Because we face an adversary who is wily and cunning, right? And we are to be on our guard against those, okay? Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch, be alert, and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that are drunken, are drunken in the night. It's the world, that's not us. But let us, who are of the day, be sober. Be sober-minded, be right-minded putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. All right, so this is kind of the abridged form of the armor of God, right? But this follows right into the theme of Thessalonians, right? Works of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, your breastplate is your faith and your love, guarding your heart, and then that hope of Christ, of Jesus Christ returning, that's guarding your head, right? Our head and our heart can get us in a lot of trouble, when we are not wrapping ourselves in the Word of God and His truth, of His love, our faith in Him, and our security in the salvation that He's bought for. That's, that's how we guard ourselves, really, from ourselves and then from the world. Okay? Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. That's why He keeps admonishing them to grow in those things. All right? Just don't be content with that one little patch of armor. Right? Continue to grow in love. Continue to grow in faith. Right? And have your patience and hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in helmet, the hope of salvation. 
Why? For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Aren't you glad of that? You've not been appointed to wrath. That on that day of judgment, there is going to be those who are appointed to rest and those that are appointed to wrath. Right? God could have left us all in our natural condition of being due and worthy and justified, justifiably punished in His wrath. But He, didn't cho- he chose not to. For His own grace and His own glory... For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Not to, not to get the opportunity for salvation, not to have the chance, not to get it. Here's your raffle ticket, and you know, one out of 500, and you may win. Obtain. When Jesus said, it's finished, y'all, He wasn't lying. It's finished. It was secure. Okay? Not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, our Master, Jesus. God saves the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. See, this is all tying back into, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, of those who are asleep. thought continues. Whether we wake or sleep, we will, should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Comfort one another with these truths. When you have someone who's passed away, when you've got someone who's dying, these are the truths that you share with them. This is what you comfort them. That Jesus Christ is going to return and you're going to be with Him and that He bought you by His death and by the resurrection that God accepted that purchase and you are now in His family and you've obtained salvation through Him. This is how you comfort one another and build each other up. It's edify, right? We're building each other up. These past few months, that's all I've been trying to focus on is every time I'm trying to use the word encourage, what I mean in that is, is edify. How can I encourage you? How can I build you up? And I'm trying to be active in that, and I want you all to be active in that in each other, of how can we build each other up, not just in our own thoughts and beliefs, but in the Word of God. How do we strengthen each other in His Word? Help us be all rooted and grounded together in love together. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also we do. All right, verse 12, we get these last kind of throwing everything in the kitchen sink to wrap up the letter. All right? It's just kind of a sundry things to, to cap- capture. And we beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm asking you on my knees, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Okay. So those two verses, I think, are coupled together. Beseech you, brethren, I'm begging you to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Who's it talking about? Preachers, pastors, teachers. Those who are trying to deliver the Word to you faithfully. It says to know them. You know what that word know means? means literally, it means to see. To see, to behold, to consider, look upon. Right? So if He is putting a laborer in your vineyard, you need to be watching Seeing the example that he lives, because Lord willing, his matching his life is matching up what he's teaching. Right? So consider them, follow them, to know them which labor among you. That word labor literally translates to feel fatigue, to work hard, that there should be effort going into this, this role that he's been put in by God's you know, calling, put him into his vineyard, said, know them, watch them, which labor among you and are over you, which means to stand before, to preside. Um, over you in the Lord, right? And admonish you. Admonish means 
to put you in mind, to caution, and also to reprove gently. I've heard me say a time or two that I'm trying to lead as gently as possible and as firmly as necessary. Reprove gently. And admonish you to know them which labor among you and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So to esteem means to to deem or to consider them worthy. To esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Not because they're such awesome people, but because of the awesome responsibility that they've been put upon. It's for their work's sake. To esteem them highly. To... uh, that word highly means super abundantly, exceedingly. And all that is, is why why is that? For the work's sake. Because it is a, a, a high and serious calling. So they need your prayers. <laughs> and then I like how they tack on it there and be at peace among yourselves. You want to encourage your pastor? Be at peace among yourselves. <laughs> you want to lift him up? Be at peace among yourselves. All right? And then verse 14, it goes on, And now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, those are the insubordinate, inside or outside the church, warn them, gently admonish them. Comfort the feeble-minded. Feeble-minded, it means little-spirited or faint-hearted. Comfort them. Support the weak, which again means feeble or sick. Be patient, it's long-spirited, forbearing, Towards all men. What about the ones who have different political views of me? (laughs) Yeah, those too. Be patient towards all men. Verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Okay, None render evil for evil. You and I do not return evil when evil is put upon us. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be... That's what the world does, right? That's the defect. That's our natural reaction. You hit me in the face, I'm going to hit you right twice as hard, right? Make you think about it. That's not what we're called to. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good. Both among yourselves, again, be at peace among yourselves, follow good among yourselves and to all men. Right? There is no limiting language on this to just a certain group of people. Just like God's not a respecter of persons, we are to be good to all. Even our worst enemies falls into that category of neighbor who we're to love at least as much as we love ourselves. Is that hard? Yes. Does your carnal nature want to say no? Yeah, your carnal nature does. Is your carnal nature wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. Fight against it. Don't feed it. And certainly don't justify it. I'm just this way. (laughs) Yeah, well, we were all born that way, dead in trespasses and sins, but we're not called to that anymore. We're called to a higher calling. Okay? But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. That is to be glad, to experience joy. Joy in the Lord evermore, without ceasing. Remember, this church is going through severe persecutions, and Paul's saying rejoice! This is not just fleeting emotions. This isn't everything's calm, and so now I can be happy. I'm waiting for things to get better so I can be happy. No, it's rejoice now, evermore. Why? Because of those truths that I've just told you about that can be comforting to you regardless of anything that's going on? You can rejoice in that. That you have a successful Savior who loved you before the foundation of the world and continues to love, love you no matter if you've messed up today. He continues to love you. right? And is faithful to forgive you when you confess your sins to Him and repent from them. Rejoice evermore. Evermore. And then pray. 
Pray without ceasing. We spent last Sunday looking at 17 different references in the first in first and second Thessalonians to prayer. Right there is a lot of references to prayer. Prayer is a very important thing. You and I, let's be candid, we neglect it, right? We don't pray like we ought to. We have the opportunity to commune with the Creator of the universe, who's our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, unhindered, and yet we don't take advantage of the access. We treat it cheaply or callously, or at worst, we just fall asleep because we're too inattentive. Pray without ceasing and connected with that, and everything, give thanks. Give thanks. And everything, you know, we'd be less likely to be in the mully grubs about what we don't have if we're spending all of our time in prayer thanking God for all the things that He's already done. Right? Big picture and little picture. Right? And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't know what the will of God is for me. Well, we learned earlier the will of God is your sanctification, that you be more holy, and that in everything you give thanks. Right? If you don't know anywhere else to start, start there. I need to be more holy because of what Christ has done for me and out of gratitude, not so I can be pharisaical and appear to be good to men, right? So I can pat myself on the back and say, oh, I'm so religious. No, but so I can be more like my Savior, right? I want to be conformed to His image. That's what I'm predestinated to, to be conformed to the image of His Son, right? And everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, quench not the Spirit, which means to extinguish. So if you need to sing, uh, you know, shout hallelujah, during preaching service, go ahead and do it. That's okay. That's allowed. Can you say amen? That's okay. That's allowed. Right? Quench not the Spirit. Verse 20 says, Despise not prophesying. Now, this is one of those special gifts during the apostolic period when people, before the whole New Testament was written, they would have the ability to prophesy and say these are things that are going to come. You know, one said that there was going to be a famine in the day of certain uh, Roman uh, Caesar. And there was. And there was one guy named Agabus who told Paul, if you go down to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you just like they're going to take this girdle around you and they're going to put you in jail. That was a prophesy. It says, don't despise prophesying. Okay? However, 21 is connected to that. Prove all things. Test all things. And then what do you hold fast to? That which is good. Alright? Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. So in everything that you are, are taught and told, it needs to be checked. And hold fast to that which is good. What is good is what will hold up through this. Right? There is a bunch of garbage in this world. right? And if you filter it through this, if you sieve it through this, you'll be left with the good stuff and you'll leave the garbage aside. Okay. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. All forms of evil, all modes of evil, all looks of evil. Right? Abstain from it. Hold it off from yourself. This is like how Jesus took adultery. It said it's not just the physical act. It's using lust in with your eyes and it goes farther than that. Same thing here. It's not just physically committing the evil. Don't even look like you're engaging in it. Don't get anywhere close to it. It's not to see how close to the line can I get without being too far. It's flee from the line altogether. That's feeding the wrong side of nature. We want to feed... Feed our, our spiritual nature and the inner man, not the things of this world. Abstain from all appearances of evil. 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you, make you holy. Sanctify you holy. That's complete with a W. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole package. Your life, your immortal soul, and your body 
be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is He able to do that? Because it's He and the one who's doing it. Faithful is He that called you, who also will do it. Right? It's by His own power. 25, brethren, pray for us. There's a general prayer request. Paul's asking for prayers. They're going through afflictions, right? Hearing about the good news about these Thessalonians being uh, faithful encouraged him in their affliction, but he's still asking, brethren, pray for us. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. All right, this is the question that Justin asked me the other day. He's like, you skipped over the holy kiss verse. I was like, huh? I was talking about prayer. It didn't, didn't come up. All right, so let's, let's dive into bre- greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. All right, what is Paul doing? Paul is sending his love, right? He is away. He cannot get to him. He wants them to greet, which that, Hebrew, that Greek word means to embrace or enfold in one's arms. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Holy being sacred. This is something different than just the carnal, secular use. And kisses, well, really, it's a kiss. Okay? It's a mark of tenderness. Okay? Alright, so let's see some of the times kissing shows up. Luke 15. Luke 15, 20, this is the prodigal son, right? He went away, he was dead, eating pig slop, came back to be a servant in his dad's house. His dad sees him coming, and he runs out to greet him, right? He arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Slightly different Greek word here. This one means to kiss earnestly. Okay? He fell on his neck and kissed him. All right? This is a sign of great tenderness. Right? There's nothing vile or gross about this. This is a father whose son was for all practical purposes dead and has come again and he is so excited and overcome with love that he wants to show that tenderness and affection. Right? Let's go back to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. This is when Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house. His name's Simon. Okay. A woman there breaks an alabaster box of ointment, pours it on him, weeping um, over his feet, and washed his feet with her tears, and wiped them the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet. That's the same kiss as the, um, the father, kissing earnestly. Okay. So down there in verse 44, He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. She hath washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. That's the same standard kiss, not the earnest one. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. And that's the more impassioned one. That's the earnest one. Okay? So here's one where at that time the custom there would have been for that host to show his affection for his guest with a kiss. And he didn't do it here. And my best understanding is this would be a kiss on the cheek. We're not talking pluck and lip to lip. Um, But here you've got the woman who's showing her great affection for the master by earnestly kissing his feet. And then you've got the Pharisee who's so cold he would not, you know, perform the, the standard custom. Right? Okay. Let's go over to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. 
This ends the letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Again, you've got this greeting, this embracing. Um, you're enfolding your arms around each other. You're welcoming. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Again, that holy being sacred. This is something that's not profane. This is not, not something that has uh, sexual connotations. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Alright, so I think in connection with this, you have to take in 1 Corinthians 7 1, where it says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Right? Nevertheless, let every man have his own wife. So I don't think this involves kissing folks of the opposite sex. I don't think that's what's entailed. I think you take that in connection with 1 Thessalonians 5 22, let there be no appearance of evil. That would again preclude there's being these shows of affection to those of just the same, same gender. Alright? And again, this is nothing vile or, or sexual um, going on. Okay, Let's go again to uh, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 37. Um, Paul is about to take leave of his friends. Um, and they, he, he knows he's never going to see them again basically. Um, Verses 36, he said, When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. So he is going away for the last time. And they're showing this tender affection for him and love for him as he's about to depart. Because he's going to go on to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, and he's going to spend... Uh, you know, go on to, to Rome for a great period of time. So, if you were to look over in Romans sixteen sixteen, you'd have a similar admonition from Second Corinthians about um, greet one another with a holy kiss. Romans sixteen sixteen, salute one another, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. And again in First Peter five one five fourteen. Greet one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So do I think this is compulsory? That now as you come into church that you have to kiss each other? No, I don't think that's compulsory. Um, But I want you to think about the the few people in your life um, that you would tolerate to give you a kiss. I would suspect for most of you it would be just your parents. But that close, tender love and affection that a father can have for his son to give him a kiss. Okay, Y'all, we need to grow in love. Right? So that whole letter has been about growing in love. Okay, And so while I'm definitely not going to advocate for y'all forcefully showing that, oh, look, we're growing in love. <laughs> but I want y'all to love each other so much that when one of you is away for, for a long period of time, or heaven, you know, say I go travel overseas or something. I'm gone for a month or something. And maybe I was in grave danger, right? If I come back, there, there may be a more of a desire to show that tenderness and affection, right? And I think that would be okay, okay? So this is not, this is not just something that would be, you know, old hat or, or a show or just for a show. But this would be something that should be just welling up out of how much love and affection you have one for another. So don't worry about that outward show until we've got that massive growth in love.
That's my best understanding on the holy kiss. So, wrap it up. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Everybody should have it, should listen to the letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Letter to the Thessalonians.